When I finished school today, I was in a productive mindset and everything. But then I stepped outside and it was raining. I can't believe it. Oh yeah, the spring transitioning weather has been pretty gloomy, but have you seen the Monte Carlo weather? That's not that beautiful either. All the matches are so delayed. I don't even know how they're going to finish the tournament. Hopefully in this case, Monte Carlo showers bring Roland Garros flowers. Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Ravia and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravi and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Well, hello everyone! It is April 12th. That was a little aggressive. It's okay. It's just our, it's just our excitement showing through, you know? <laughs> Today is April 12th. Um, this is episode 54. It's our first, well, it's our, it's been a while since we've done an episode talking about the Pro Tour. We obviously had our Triton Talk episode last week. Go check that out if you have not already. It was a really fun interview. But we're back to covering the Pro Tour this, uh, this episode. And Today, actually, we had two birthdays of two of our favorite players, which is actually, you know, what a cosmic alignment there. We had Matteo Berrettini's 25th birthday and Jennifer Brady's 26th birthday. Well, then, in that case, I guess it's one of our favorite players and then one of your favorite players. Okay, well, yeah, we both like Jennifer Brady. I'm obviously the Berrettini fan of the duo, but I like to think that out of respect for our friendship, Josefina... uh, seconds my support of Matteo in most cases. So I will continue to believe that. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I support the Matteo fan, but do I support Matteo himself? That's the I mean you're not against him. Yeah, I guess. But if it was him versus one of my favorite players, I would obviously choose Well duh. You know what he's just one of those this is going to be the thing that ends this podcast one day. <laughs> no, I mean, like, he, there, in my opinion, I mean, he's just one of those other guys. Who, there's, a, there's very few players in the ATP, I find, who there's really nothing to, like, objectively dislike about them. Yeah, you know? and also that, like, his he's vaccine one of those rare promotion people. really brought him yeah. up a few points in my book, so. Yeah, and on the topic of vaccines, actually, his fellow Italian, Fabio Fognini, also said today that he is pro-vaccination and wants to get the vaccine as soon as possible, so it's nice to see these ATP guys actually say some smart stuff. Italians, especially. Yeah. So we're going to jump right in with the tennis, actually, starting with a recap of last week's winners before we jump into the Monte Carlo preview, since that's the big tournament we have coming up here. But last Well, it's week- not really a preview. I mean, it yeah, started already, it started. but it's rained a bunch. You know, it's basically, yeah. basically not much preview. has happened. Yeah. Yeah. We're just giving you guys the rundown. <laughs> So last week we actually did have, um, especially on the WTA side, kind of a big tournament. We had the Charleston WTA 500, where Veronica Kujermitova, the 15th seed, defeated Danka Kovinich 6-4-6-2 in the final. And this was the first title for the Russian Veronica, and she did not drop a set throughout the entire tournament. But this is quite a strange final we see here, especially considering how stacked the field was. 
Yeah, we were definitely, I know Josephina and I were hoping for someone like Sloane Stevens or Ons Jabor to really make a run for a title here, but this was definitely a final that no one expected. If you did predict this, well, I, I don't know how. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's important to note that this was also a great run for Coven, and she has been battling injuries for the past few years now, and she defeated three seeded players in a row en route to the final, Kvitova, Putinseva, and Ons Jabor. Those are very good wins for her. So, um, you know, we also saw some of our favorites fall out. As we said, Jabor, Sloan, Madison, Muguruza had to retire, Kvitova. But unexpected winners will take it. Kudermatova deserved it. Um, and a 500 title is definitely good to add to her uh, repertoire. And also a clay court title because Kudermatova is known for being a pretty big hitter. So it's nice to see that she was able to have some success on this surface too. And another WTA two, uh, tournament happening last week was Bogota, a WTA 250, where a 19-year-old Maria Camila Osorio Serrano won her first title on home soil. She defeated Tamara Zidancic, uh, 5-7, in the final, and that was quite the tournament for her. We're seeing a lot of these youngsters kind of rise up on both sides of the tour and it's honestly really cool especially for us uh gen zers yeah and it's also great that she got it on home soil and actually the next two winners that we're going to talk about also got their title wins on home soil um in marbella we had an atp 250 event in spain where pablo carreño busta who was formerly a victim of the abominable oh my god i can't say this (laughs) abominable abdominals plague at the australian open and we know Fellow members include uh, Bertini, Dimitrov, I believe Casper Ruud as well. Um, and he defeated Compatri Haume Munar, 6-1-2-6-6-4. So a very, you know, I remember there was at 4-all in the third set. It was on Munar's serp, and Pablo Cornebusta had needed seven break points before he could break his serve there. And that game was basically, you know, the most important one in the entire match because then PCB just served up for the title. So very, uh, very tough match there. But, you know, getting this title was his 200th match win and his fifth title overall. Um, So great for Pablo because he was coming back from injury. He didn't play in Miami, I don't think. Um, And there there was an all-Spanish semifinal at this tournament too. And what's actually really funny... Is we've talked about the St. Petersburg Trophy Ceremony, right? But the Marbella Trophy Ceremony wasn't, you know, wasn't just your regular one either. They had an opera singer come on court, and the ball kids were doing a choreographed, like, I don't know if I would go as far as calling Flash it a dance. Yeah, kind of, it wasn't really a dance number, but, like, they were doing some choreography in the background while the guy was singing. So That's it was definitely so fun. It was definitely a well-coordinated event there. And Bjorn Borg was in the stands watching. Are you sure he didn't come down to dance with them? (laughs) (laughs) So next up, we have another ATP 250 from last week, Cagliari. Did I pronounce that right? Probably not. I don't don't know. We'll have to consult someone who actually knows how to speak Italian to fix our pronunciations. We're not, we're kind of just like, if it's Russian, um, some Spanish words, Josefina will be the authority on how to pronounce them. Nothing in Hindi ever comes up in tennis, really, so I can't really help with that. Um, but, you know, when we don't really know how to pronounce things, we're going to try our best, but we'll stick with Cagliari. Yeah, or Sagliari, Chagliari. 
you know what? You know which tournament I'm talking about. So let's move on to the fact that Lorenzo Sonego defeated Laszlo Jared 2-6-7-6-6-4 in the final to win on home soil. So this is definitely kind of a pattern we're seeing here in last week's tournaments. This is Sonego's second career title and this is a flashback to his run to the Vienna finals at the end of last year and he seems to have flown pretty under the radar since then but he's back maybe he's back for a little more we're gonna see him in this next tournament we're gonna talk about in the episode so we'll see what happens there yeah, so great uh, weeks for all four of those players. Looking ahead, as we obviously have now entered Clay's season, the French Open announced that Roland Garros is going to be actually postponed. So the French president decided to postpone sporting events for one week due to the coronavirus. The situation there with the virus has not been getting any better. Um, I don't really understand what a one-week postponement is going to change. I don't think that's how pandemics work. I mean, I'm no scientist, but I think anyone by this point clearly knows that a week won't change anything because a year and a half later, we're we're still we're, we're still here. <laughs> um, so, um, Roland Garris, though, thinks she's the main character, as everyone's been saying on Twitter. Um, and so, she has decided that she's going to move herself to May 24th to June 13th now, which means that the grass season, obviously it's the grass season that has to suffer, is going to be shortened by one week. So, that's a big rip for uh, us uh, grass court fans not only that but with the um french open moving one week further it moves further into our finals territory for school so recording those yeah. episodes will certainly be fun exactly be now the french test now the f- of time management exactly now the french open is gonna lie right when all our final assignments are uh, our final tests are so that's gonna be a grind but thanks a lot french open thank you french friends tennis federation thank you yes. really so now we have kind of some not yeah it's definitely cool that they did a study on this the itf released a study today called exploring sports gender equality in the media and basically the itf teamed up with a data company called ipsos mori to research the portrayal perception and representation those were their three chosen words of sports women across the media the research shows how the representation of male and female athletes varies so definitely something interesting that they're finally bringing light to when it comes to the portrayal of sports especially tennis in this case since it is the itf but um i believe golf and soccer were also portrayed in this um study if you want to go back and look at those if you're a fan of those sports but we're gonna focus on the tennis yeah i think they use they use it as a little bit of a comparison as well to kind of they highlighted tennis but adding in those sports helped to compare with that but as josephina said um we retweeted it on our twitter feed it's pretty easy to find so definitely check it out they put up a nice slideshow of it so it's really easy to read through but we're gonna go through some notable highlights from what they found um and these are all quotes by the way so They said, on a like-for-like basis, female athletes are less likely to have their on-court performance discussed than men and more likely to have their off-court lives discussed. We can, you know, flash back to the U.S. Open when, like, Peronkova, Serena Williams, and Azarenka were constantly asked about being moms, right? And less so about maybe their on-court performance, and that kind of became the whole thing about them. And, you know, like, yeah, it's cool, but, like, you know... It's important to sort of view female athletes as, you know, realizing their athletic potential as well and not, you know, 
always having to focus on their off-court part as much. Like that compared to the fact that it took me until the St. Petersburg Open at the end of last year to realize Karen Kachanov is a dad. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, what? you never see the, the the guys asked about this, but... You know, yeah, exactly. Case in point right there. And you could come up with so many different examples. Um, Another quote was that the conversation and coverage of men's tennis is more focused on the sport with a strong combative narrative and a sense of history, elite competition, and achievement. This may contribute to a situation where on-court performance plays a bigger role in defining male tennis players than it does female tennis players. This is really interesting, actually. I think that, um, you know, I, I get this vibe, too, that, like, you know, when they're talking about, like, the men's sporting event, it's much more like, oh, yeah, this is the real deal. Like, this is, like, yeah. the real, like, yeah. athletic, like, macho, like, bro-to-bro, like, real essence of the sport. It goes back to all of those, like, medieval ages, all the chivalry, the war, like, unga, yeah. man, war, or yeah. war. Not even, yeah, that, too, and also, like, it, it's just the sense that, like, you know, that the, like, yeah, this is the men's tournament. This is what we're really yeah, here for. Yeah, because the fight is for the men, basically. That's what they're saying here. Yeah, and I think that the tie is really interesting, too, where, like, on-court performance and what you do on court, what you prove yourself on court, your athletic capability is much more sort of highlighted for the men than for, whereas for the women, it's like, oh, yeah, they're women. They play tennis on this. They're tennis players, too. But, like, we're going to talk about, like, other stuff as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not as much highlighting their athletic um, capabilities as, you know, world-class athletes and competitors. And then our last quote um, was that, Conversely, the conversation around women's tennis is less intense and relatively more focused on life off-court from health and age to family, framing tennis as a one facet. We kind of talk about that already, but um, yeah. I think that does a good job at summing up this sort of, like, off-court, on-court um, difference in the way that male and female tennis players are perceived. And I honestly think this translates to multiple different sports as well. But that's definitely an interesting highlight and something that's not very difficult to see if you watch any bit of, like, ESPN, ten- like, any coverage. doesn't matter the network. You just see it. Yeah, obviously the well-roundedness when it comes to information about women is important and helpful at times. But if they're not doing that for the men so much as they are doing it for the women, that's where we start to see a problem. Because we like we don't have a problem with knowing more about the men's all-around lives. It's just the fact that it's so deferred in this sense. Yeah, the skew, it's definitely skewed in a way that's not productive. Exactly. And then some other interesting finds included, especially stats here, one of them, the first one being men's content is 70% more likely to mention a player's physical prowess than women's content. So we already saw this in some of the quotes above, but again, we're talking about how the women are kind of pushed aside when it comes to all that goes into their training, all that goes into the strength that they build up when it comes to playing tennis. And the athletic ability is once again being showcased on the men's side and kind of being um, not like... Brushed aside? Yeah, yeah, exactly, on the women's side. And then... We finish each other's sentences. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I couldn't come up with the word. Um, And then the GOAT, the word or phrase GOAT, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time, was mentioned 50% more in men's tennis content than women's in 2020. This one, this one I will say, though, like, 
to me makes sense a bit only because like you see more discourse about the goat debate between the big three um which i get whereas like on the women's side it's kind of indisputably serena williams at this point and you see less of that or like there's no contemporary contenders on the women's side aside from serena i would say so that i i sort of understand but um i think that yeah i mean like it, it it's definitely a significant jump but that's one of the statistics that to me is a little bit like i can kind of reason with that a bit more i just i feel like as if when it comes to serena williams being the goat um she's not blatantly called that as I much agree. as for example Djokovic or federer are i 100 percent agree uh, that, that's a really good point actually because i was reading this um uh, a few weeks ago also like Serena Williams as a black woman had to do so much before people even started considering her as a candidate for the you know go you know mm-hmm. tennis player yeah. right so she's had to do so much more to even get herself in contention to be discussed in that position than um her male counterparts have in terms of the goat debate you know like so I think yeah you bring up a really good point there I would say that um you know the the big three debates kind of are the the word goat comes up a lot more in discussion on the ATP side but you're totally correct in terms of like Serena Williams has the you can see a clear kind of hesitancy for the tennis media to correlate the term goat with her than they have with any of the big three Mm -hmm. and then the third point we have here is content around women's tennis is two times more likely to mention health and medical treatment than men's tennis so this is definitely interesting and it kind of portrays kind of highlighting weakness actually i also think that what someone brought up a really good point i believe it was jeff donaldson on twitter he said that i think that one of the things that that isn't discussed enough is kind of like this undertones of sexism or like the sexist narrative around like um tactical medical timeouts like whenever when women take when the wta players take medical timeouts there's always a speculation of it being something uh tactical or strategic or you know kind of like shady if if i may say whereas when the guys take it you never really get the discourse as much like novak djokovic got a medical timeout to get his toenails clipped in the u.s open final in 2016 people made way bigger of a deal of carolina muhova taking a medical timeout in the australia and open semis than they did for Djokovic in that match. You know what I'm trying to... Yeah. Or, like, yeah. Kennan in the French Open final. Like, okay, like, sometimes players, like, yeah, like, sometimes you, if you have the medical timeout opportunity available and you want to, you know, like, take a break, whatever, regroup, like, fine. Like, it's within the rule books to do that. Like, you can do it. But, like, the point is, is that there's always that sort of, like, negative, like, manipula or um, a tactical sort of speculation around... Um, women taking those timeouts whereas with the guys not as much that's really interesting because like i never viewed it that way but then of course that was a couple there's like the major examples are from a couple of years ago and i wasn't really following tennis like i was just watching and not really kind of engaged in tennis social media media in general so the fact that those opinions are so prevalent when it comes to the tennis community that is another problem we're highlighting So the last thing here is that women's content is 30% more likely to refer to players' family than men's tennis. So again, this goes back to the talking about kids off-court, talking about being a mother, the whole thing where that, like, the U.S. Open's whole, like, tennis 
uh, strategy for last year's U.S. Open semifinalist was mother, mother, mother. That was, like... It got exhausting out of a while. Yeah. After a while. Yeah. It was, yeah. Like, that's not the only thing that they do. Obviously, it's awesome that they're able to come back from childbirth. Like, but now you can appreciate their tennis. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the only other two things that I guess are worth mentioning from their statistics or highlights was that women's content is nearly twice as likely to mention clothing versus men's content. If I say so myself, I would like to see a lot more discourse about ATP players' outfits because, first of all, some of them are great. Yeah. Second of all, some of them need work. Like, Nike has and been Adidas, dropping bobs. Like, no, Nike has been doing really well with the colors. Adidas needs to get more creative. They're just, I'm sorry, their looks are not cutting it for the guys. Like, I've seen Felix wearing the same freaking shirt for, like, so long. Like, it's just, like, slightly different colors. I'm like, come on, guys. And then we have Asics. Uh. (laughs) Actually, Demon's shirts have been pretty nice, though, if I'm going to say. Really? Yeah, I've liked them. Asics, I don't like the Asics dresses, though. Oh, yeah. The ones that they gave Iga and Jen Brady. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God, Asics, you can do better than this. (laughs) And then Anz Jabour has been stuck with the same cotton candy pink outfit since, like, last year. I don't get it. These tennis brands need to step up their game. Anyway, the last one is that only 6 out of 50 search results are women if you Google top 50 tennis players. I mean, I've certainly found this. Even if I'm doing episode research and I search, like, Australian Open defending champion, it's going to give me the guy. Yeah. Or like if I search mm-hmm. Australian Open I have to look up women. Yeah. I mean that's that's a given. But you know, we encourage you to take a look through this study a bit more. It's really like the slides that they put together, as I said, it's very digestible, very easy to read, covers all the highlights pretty well. Um the next step I think is kind of observing how our discourse kind of like as I would call ourselves, you know, freelancing Gen Z podcasters. We were gonna, we're gonna try to, you know, even though we're girls, we also have to be cognizant of this type of stuff because internalized misogyny is definitely a thing. Um, eventually, so, we will be women. <laughs> um, so that's definitely something we're gonna be focusing on as well as how to, you know, kind of start chipping at these these uh, these problems because. Only then are we going to start seeing some change in the way this type of stuff is discussed. And educating yourself is always the first step. Now into tennis talk, we're going to talk about the Monte Carlo Rolex Masters. It's like we literally just had a Masters 1000 tournament two weeks ago. We're right back at it again, this time on clay. It's been rainy. It is raining every single day this week in Monte Carlo is what the weather forecast says. So again, as we reference in our interskit, we have no idea how this tournament is going to finish. Um, but we shall see. Clearly the the French Tennis Federation is like going all at it with the postponements so maybe they'll <laughs> delay Roland Garros one week further if needed who knows I know Josefina made a funny comment before we started recording that Rome Monte Carlo and Roland Garros were basically the same tournament in her mind same tournament different fonts <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so far I mean it technically started today um or I guess by the time this episode is released yesterday 
Um, there were some pretty brutal first round matchups. Only a few matches got finished, but like we've already had to deal with Ugo Umber, Alex Dimonor, and Lorenzo Musetti losing. So <laughs> it's been pretty brutal and painful, painful for us so far. I will, I will say the doubles draw is kind of exciting though. There's a uh, Fognini playing doubles with Diego Schwartzman. Um, oh, I know that's also playing and doubles. And then we have the Tsitsipas brothers. I think, uh, oh my god, who is Felix playing with? Felix is playing doubles too. I think Dimitrov's also playing doubles. Medved is also playing doubles. Kachanov and Rublev, as I said. But yeah, that, that'll that be the The, the singles players part. are getting bored. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's jump into the actual tournament and who we've got in this draw. Yeah, starting with kind of the all- overall, we're going to look at the top seeds, which include Novak Djokovic, Daniel Medvedev, Rafael Nadal, Stepano Tsitsipas, Alexander Zverev, Andre Rublev, Diego Schwarzman, and Matteo Berrettini. And yes, those are in order. And yes, Medvedev is seated before Nadal. Craziness. The one notable absence here, especially given that it is a clay tournament, is Dominic Team. He has said that he's not feeling as, you know, physically or mentally um, strong as he maybe was in 2020. He talked about how, like, having all that success in 2020 was, you know, difficult to carry through into 2021 because you kind of have that pressure on you. You know you had such a great season in 2020. It's hard to regroup, and I can only imagine, like, again, we've talked about this um, here and there, but, you know, in COVID times when you don't have fans watching you, et cetera, et cetera, it's a totally different environment, right, that um, is still taking some adjusting. Sitsipas talked about in his recent press conference about the debilitating psychological effects of what it's like to play in a bubble day in and day out. So um, Dominic Team is taking some time to reset mentally and physically. Uh, he does want to be ready for the French Open, I believe, so hopefully we'll see him there. Um, but another guy who I would just say isn't playing, obviously Roger Federer isn't here. Um, he'll be playing in Madrid. He did pull out of Rome, though, which is weird. But um, And then Gael Monfils pulled out last minute with an injury. Yeah, and then we have the defending champion in 2019, actually, since this play- this tournament was not held last year. We have Fabio Fognini, actually, who pulled off a straight sets upset versus Nadal in the semifinals that year. So that's interesting. Maybe something to consider. Maybe not. Yeah, no, I was shocked when I learned that. Because if I'm going to be honest, like, as Josefina said, like, we, like, she didn't, like, we didn't really focus this much attention into tennis as we do now as we maybe did a few years ago i know i was someone who solely pretty much focused on watching the wta since like middle school i was like really into the wta but i didn't really watch much (laughs) i was honestly just watching the u.s open (laughs) (laughs) um but you know once i started getting into the atp tour again and both sides i was like you know, a bit more aware. And then a few weeks ago, when I saw that Fabio Fognini was the 2019 defend, like champion of Monte Carlo, I was like, what? And then I was like, he beat Nadal in straight sets. And I was like, what? And then I was like, <laughs> Dusan Lajovic played him in the final. And I was like, what? what? So it was a weird tournament in 2019, apparently. But anyway, going into this one, we have the first quarter, which is Djokovic's quarter, the number one seed. This is the first time we're seeing him since the Australian Open, where he did win. Um, he skipped Miami to spend some time with his family, and he is certainly uh, the heavy favorite to get to the final, at least. And he faces, actually, a pretty interesting draw in this area right here. Getting some Miami throwbacks. He could pay, face a possible second-round match against Miami finalist Yannick Sinner. And if he should get through that, a possible round of 16 versus Miami champion Hubert Hercot. So that's very interesting there. We were talking about this before, but 
in Miami, since so many people withdrew, the seat, like so many more, I would say, top 30 players and up were kind of were were seated, right? Were able to come forward, yeah. So they they were seated, so they didn't have to play each other in these early rounds. And now we're seeing, like, people like Yannick Sinner not seated, or people like, we're going to talk about this later, Taylor Fritz and RBA being a first-round match, you know? So it's kind of weird how the dynamics shifted and changed so quickly from one Masters 1000 to another. Yeah, and then on the other hand, in this quarter, we have Alexander Zverev, the fifth seed, the Acapulco champion, Australian Open quarterfinalist who lost to Djokovic, actually, and he is a pretty strong clay court player, has five titles on clay. He faces a difficult first-round match versus the winner of Sonego, wait, Sonego <laughs> versus Pukšević, and a possible round 16 versus David Goffin. And also a possible quarterfinal, of course, versus Djokovic, where Novak is definitely the favorite. And then moving... Finally, Zverev's <laughs> not getting a cakewalk draw. That's a, that's a first. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, well, unfortunately... That Un- is unfortunately not, that it's yeah, not exactly, a first. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I had to clear that up kind of fast. Um, and then moving forward, we have some dark horses or players to kind of watch that we think you should watch out for. Starting off with her catch, like Shavia was saying, the 13th seed is the Miami Open champion as of two weeks ago-ish. And will be, it will be interesting to see how he does on clay and how he's going to bounce back from his Miami success because he did do well in Delray earlier this year, so maybe this is kind of becoming a year-round doing good thing for him. And But then again, those are both hard-court tournaments. And, yeah, you know, true, true. Yeah, but we'll see. He's, cer- he's certainly playing amazing. Mm-hmm. And he has a pretty feasible path to the round of 16 where he would meet Novak Djokovic, but we'll see because he would have to meet Yannick Sinner before then, I believe. No, probably well, not. Well, if Yannick Sinner, yeah. well, Hercotch wouldn't have to, but Novak might have to. Yeah, exactly. So Yannick Sinner is the other kind of player to watch we have here. He did really well on clay last year with a Grand Slam breakthrough to the French Open quarterfinals. And his first round is versus clay specialist Ramos Vignolas. And then he would have to face a second round versus Djokovic. So can he do it? So... If he beats, fingers crossed yeah. as Sinner fans. Yes, and if he does beat Djokovic and um, Herbert gets through, we would have a rematch of the Miami final in the round of sixteen. So definitely interesting. Like we're you were saying, we're seeing the people from Miami kind of meet so much earlier in the rounds here, considering how many more of the top seeds are really playing. And yep, it's definitely yeah. interesting. And then the other sort of player or players to watch, I would say, is whoever comes out of the Sonigo versus Fuksovic match. Um, the winner of that is going to play Alexander Zverev, and honestly, they would give him a run for his money. I think both Marton and Lorenzo have a shot in that match versus Zverev. Um, Sonigo, we know, is coming off of his title on Cagliari. Um, Fuksovic is going to be a very difficult opponent for him in the first round. We, we've seen him had some have some awesome success so far this year. Luckily for Fuksovic, he's not in Rublev's section of the draw. Um, we know that he's had to, um, you know, lose some, some matches to Rublev a lot in the past month or so. Um, but I think, yeah, the winner of this match, whoever it may be, I'm giving the edge to Sonigo anyways because he's been playing so well on the clay. Um, but whoever is going to be, I think, will be a tough opponent for Zverev in the second round and could potentially go further. 
And next up, we have Tsitsipas's quarter, where the top seeds are obviously Stefano Tsitsipas, the fourth seed, who has one outdoor clay title from 2019. He made the Hamburg finals last year and the French Open semifinals, so not a bad clay season at all last year. And he has a second round match versus Oslan Karatsev already set. That's scary. That's yeah, scary that's- for Tsitsipas fans. Karatsev is going crazy recently. Yeah, I think there was a lot of, like, everyone was like, this guy's good on clay courts, too, because he had a pretty commanding win over Lorenzo Musetti um, today. Yeah. So (laughs) We all thought it would be over by now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but honestly, I think it's kind of awesome that this guy is, like, proving everyone sort of wrong and carrying his consistency through. And we've been seeing this since the end of, last year as i mean i'm not going to take credit for this but those of those tennis fans who were um paying close attention to the challenger uh level events he was doing pretty well on that too so he's been really riding a good wave of success and then we have matteo berrettini the eighth seed shravia's fave and the birthday guy today actually exactly so actually his first two titles out of three were on outdoor clay so maybe it's time for a resurgence of that little snippet of um tennis i mean we saw we we saw him coming out of his flop era briefly at the atp cup this year so i can only hope that (laughs) the amount of times you repeated that because he hasn't really showed up after that he has well. He was injured. He was part of the abominable abdominals. That's true. So um, that was a whole he did separate play, virus. <laughs> he did. He did. He did play doubles with his brother though last week at Cagliari. Mm-hmm. Um, they won a couple matches, which was nice to see. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't know. I don't have as a Berrettini fan. I'll just say I don't have many expectations for Matteo in this tournament. I'm just kind of happy to see him back. But um, I was really hopeful. Uh, in Australia, because he was playing really well there, and he would have given Sitsipas a run for his money in the round of 16, I believe, they were going to face off um, before he pulled out. Um, but yeah, he also made the Rome Masters quarterfinals in 2020, so um, we'll see how he does. We'll see how he does. In terms of players to watch slash dark horses in this section, we talked about Aslan Karatsev. This is his year. We can't forget him. Australian Open semifinals, winner of Dubai. We'll see how he does on clay. We were talking about just now his challenger success. He has won two challenger titles on clay last year and even made the final of the third one. So he seems to be, um, you know, pretty commanding on the clay as well. And then, I mean, we have we've got another clay court well more so strictly well not strictly but more so no, a guy who really loves the clay yeah he's definitely a clay specialist we're talking about christian Guerin here who is the 16th seed in this tournament all five of his titles have been on outdoor clay and he is notoriously good on it um especially we saw that he won santiago earlier this re- year already and that was kind of the south american clay court swing we had going yeah. on there and he was doing yeah. well in that so i f- i feel like garin goes very under the radar oh for in sure. a lot of these tournaments and stuff i he was coming he was I, I he was injured at the beginning of this year he couldn't play the australian open i believe but this guy as you said he's a beast on the clay um and i think that he could definitely give uh, a bunch of people in his draw a run for his money i mean his first round is against felix ojaliasim I mean, that's that's definitely a tough one. And it's kind of weird. Felix isn't seeded. 
Yeah, Garen is yeah, seated. That's kind of strange. To which see. is which is weird, but that's gonna be a tough match. I think anyone, whoever's gonna come out of that, is gonna be tough. But I agree. I personally would give Garen the edge in that match just because it's clay. Yeah. But I mean, don't don't get mad at us FAA fans. We 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 still are loyal to our guy, but just clay. It's clay, so we gotta talk about Christian. So speaking of clay specialists, actually, the next quarter is Rafael and the Dolls, where Rafael and the Doll is again. The third seed, like, what do we weird. really... Weird, that's weird. Yeah. I don't like that. The number three next to his name looks kind of weird. <laughs> it's not right. <laughs> so, like, what do we need to say about this guy and Clay? Like, nothing. I, I don't think, I really don't know. Yeah, just a little on his background this year so far. He did not play Miami. He made the Australian Open quarterfinals. He is the king of Clay, and he is one million thousand percent the favorite to win the title and like we were saying it's kind of strange to see him as the third seed especially considering who took his spot as the second seed and <laughs> that this is clay it's just like daniel is seated higher than Nadal at a clay court tournament i thought Weird. that seeds like considered actual tournament like statistics that, i think that, i believe that's only at, at uh wimbledon i believe that's only at wimbledon they do that i could be wrong but um Anyway, the next seed we have in this section is Andre Rublev. Again, this is a guy who I feel like we don't even need to talk about that much. Like, um, he had success on the clay last year. The Hamburg title reached the Roland Garros quarterfinals. The question with him is always, you know, um, we've seen him do great at the 500 levels, but can he make those deeper runs in the thousands and the slams? We saw him get to the Miami semis, but then, and honestly, by the semifinal stage, Everyone was like, the, it was, I wouldn't say wide open, it was pretty open for Rublev to take the title by then. Um, and people saw him as the heavy favorite, but then he did not play his best in that semifinal match versus Hercotch. Um, Maybe the pressure got to him, who knows. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he does. He faces a potential round of 16 versus Roberto Bautista, um, who's always a tough guy to play and also did really well in Miami. Um, so that's going to be interesting, but... Um, again, it's Rublev. This guy has been on fire for quite some time now. And then some dark horses and players to watch here include the winner of what would be the Taylor Fritz versus Roberto Bautista Goot match. Like Shravia was already saying, I mean, RBA always brings a fight. And this is an interesting round one match. We've seen both of them in amazing form. RBA reached the Miami semifinals. And they would both be definitely challenging opponents for Rublev. Fritz has also been on fire this past year. I mean, he like we were saying before, he took Djokovic to five sets in the round of 16 at the Australian Open. That's not something to be discounted. And the kind of second person we have here is Grigor Dimitrov, who is the only seed in Nadal's section here. And he has been in kind of mixed form this past season, but... He's still one of our faves. We had to Fingers include. crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed for Grisho. Um, moving on to the next quarter, we've got Daniil Medvedev's quarter, the second seed. Believe it or not, considering all the clay court slander this guy gets, he actually made it to the semifinals in 2019, so he certainly has some stuff to, um, you know, some good memories at this tournament. 
Clay definitely isn't his best surface, but I mean, like, he surely is going to break through on this surface at some point, right? Like, who's who's to say it's not going to be this year? I don't know. There's a potential pretty interesting round of 16 match that he could have versus Fabio Fognini, the defending champion, which I personally would be excited to see. Both those guys have a lot of attitude, and they definitely bring it on court. So I would love to see that. Um, I'm hopeful for a Medi Clay breakthrough. It's very difficult to predict, though. He has a strong quarter because he has Diego as the other seed in this quarter, and Diego is a beast on Clay. So I would say that Medvedev has certainly has the ability to make it to the quarterfinals, but he would face a difficult opponent there in Diego Schwartzman. So it it's it for me there's a bunch of question marks about Medvedev. Maybe I'm being too hopeful and there shouldn't even be question marks and that I should just, you know, think that he's going to lose pretty early on. Um but I think that it, it'll be I think we'll see match by match how he's doing and how he's performing on the surface. I mean, if this depended on his French Open record, we would definitely have a problem. <laughs> yeah, which is weird though. I mean, he did do well in Rome 2 years ago, so I don't know, but I mean, Diego Schwartzman in my opinion is this definitely is to me the strongest person in this section who we're just going to talk about right now. And then his um other seated compatriot in this section would be Diego Schwartzman. Compatriot? He's not a compatriot. What do you mean? Medvedev is seated, Russian and Diego seated, is Argentine. Fellow seated person, okay? Okay, okay. Wrong word then, Josephine. Fine, fine, fine. Um, Diego Schwartzman, the seventh seed, he had an amazing clay season last year. He made the Rome finals and he beat Nadal on the way. And then he made the French Open semifinals. I'm still not over that. That's so, I, I'm just so proud of him. He did so well. And then he also won a clay title earlier this year in Argentina like we were saying very good on clay so he has he totally has the potential to pull through here but he would face a very difficult round of 16 versus Pablo Carreño Busta potentially <laughs> I yeah. said it like that because I have some attitude concerning that name but we oh yeah if, if you haven't heard already we've mentioned this a bunch but we'll mention it one more time he, Josephine, I just was in the, the PCB versus Chapo match at the Australian Open. Sorry, US Open. Um, Chapo was, I think, leading or something, and PCB was serving. Maybe he had an opportunity to break serve. And Josephine was like, Pablo, I dare you to hit an ace. I dare you. And he did. So, and then obviously Chapo lost that match. <laughs> but anyway, back to back to Diego. I'm excited about this guy. I feel good that he's going to you know, have a, a good clay season. I'm really excited. Yeah, for I'm very hopeful for this guy. I think it's I think it's about time he has Oh my god, did you see his little Captain America thing? Yeah like the, the workout. Oh my god. The, okay, the, how did yeah, it get the, sponsored by Disney. That's so cool. I don't know man. That video that video is everything. <laughs> okay, so moving forward we have some dark horses and players to watch in this section as well. We have first Casper Rude, definitely one of my favorites. Definitely somebody that goes under the radar. He rocks. He rocks the sweater vest look. I will say mm-hmm. that. Faux show. And his dog is very cute. <laughs> and I mean, Casper Rude is super dangerous on clay. He made the Rome semifinals last year and would be a very difficult opponent for Diego in the second round. I am having a very difficult time kind of deciding who I want the breakthrough to be here. But honestly, I'm gonna. Hope for Diego, because I think he could go further when it comes to big tournaments like this. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I would say, you know, the next dark horse, he's not really dark horse, but he always seems to be overlooked or underrated, um, is Pablo Carini Busta. I mean, he's coming off that title. He's in great form. He does have the potential to pull off that upset over Diego and make a deep run in this quarter. And should he go far enough to get past Diego, he could even upset Medvedev. So, sorry, Medvedev. I need to get, (laughs) need to remember to pronounce that correctly, but I'm trying, I'm trying. Um... So, yeah, he's another guy to look out for. I mean, and then we've got our defending champion, Fabio Fognini, who also loves the clay. I'm interested to see how he does. He Maybe he could pull off the uh, Medvedev upset in the round of 16. Who knows? Fabio is a very unpredictable guy. But, damn, if I'm going to be honest, I would love to see Fognini defend his title. Like, I think that would just be epic. Yeah, I honestly um, have absolutely nothing against that. I am all for it. <laughs> So next up, we have some kind of predictions since we have um, started doing this when it comes to bigger tournaments. We did it for uh, Miami. Yes, we did. And I was right about Barty winning. I'm so you were. excited about that. And Who did I say? Oh, I said Osaka. Oh, <laughs> sucks to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I just like at this point my predictions don't really mean anything, so don't listen okay, to me. Okay, but actually in this sense they might because you have a pretty kind of easy win here. Yeah. My prediction for the champion for uh, Monte Carlo is Rafael Nadal. I don't think I need to justify that statement. <laughs> I don't think I need to give any further explanation. Yeah, you want to list all the years of his French Open titles? <laughs> All right, Josephina, who are you? I know you're picking someone who I wouldn't mind winning the whole thing um, and who definitely could, um, but maybe maybe not someone at the top, top yeah, list of yeah. favorites. Yeah, I'm choosing Stefanos Tsitsipas. Interesting, yes, but there was something that I saw that kind of sparked my interest here considering he did have like a good chunk of clay success a couple Mm -hmm. years ago and i always have this even last year yeah exactly and i always have this thing where if i don't see a player do super well i will choose them to have good odds because it's about time they got out of the gutter right so well he's doing well yeah exactly he is doing i mean when it comes to the clay season but he did well last year well you're not helping i'm trying to reason (laughs) And <laughs> I don't know. It's just a gut feeling, you know? Yeah, no. Trust Josephina's gut feeling. It's usually correct. Um, for And then we started this thing in Miami as well where we, like, this is this was for me, actually, because, like, I was like, yeah, my predictions aren't going to be right, but I still want to talk about someone winning and, you know, my thoughts on that. So we introduced this in Miami, our personal favorite to win. Someone who we have less faith in that they're going to win the whole thing, but who we would love to see Win the whole thing. But still, for me, not zero faith. Not zero faith. No, 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 not zero yeah. shit. It could, it could be someone like, it could be a freaking qualifier who we really like, <laughs> or it could be someone in the top ten who has a difficult draw, but maybe isn't would have been Massetti, but he's out. <laughs> yeah. All right, so my personal favorite, if you couldn't tell already, is Diego Schwartzman. I want Diego to win this tournament because he's a clay beast. He has cemented himself in the top 10. He's really been playing well. He actually did pretty well in Miami. Had a tough match to Sebastian Corda, but hey, this is Clay. Clay is his territory. Um, 
I mean, Diego had an amazing clay season last year. I think he feels comfortable on the surface, and I want him to win. I, I just do. Yeah, so I was kind of debating between a few people here, but then, you know, hearing all that stuff about Diego really reminded me of that little fade Stravi and I had last year when the Rome fin- when the Rome Masters came around, and I was like, you know what? I'm down for this Diego winning thing. So I completely agree with Stravia when it comes to Diego Schwartzman being our personal favorite. So you can consider Schwartzman, hold on to your racket podcast, team's personal favorite, since we are a joint thing if it's the both of us. Exactly. Diego, please don't disappoint. We're rooting for you and um, hoping that you pull through. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the Monte Carlo tournament this week, and of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions, and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released later this week as the action in Monte Carlo picks up. Hopefully there won't be too many rain delays, though. (laughs) And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravia. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.